Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Tammy Fry, marketing director at her family business, the Fry Family Food Company. A born vegetarian since 1981 in Durban, South Africa, Tammy inspired her father Wally Fry, a meat-eating animal farmer, to go vegan. Together with his wife and Tammy's mother, Debbie Fry, also a lifelong vegetarian, they created the Fry Family Food Company. Sold in retailers throughout Australia, the UK, South Africa and soon to be in the US, Fry's provides tasty plant-based alternatives to meat. An avid crossfitter, fifth dan karate practitioner, and many times South African national champion, self defence coach, surfer, and current Australian Open and Queensland karate champion, Tammy is passionate about health and wellness. She joined the family business, which currently employs six family members, in 2001 after gaining her degree in marketing and economics to raise the profile of the Fry's brand of all vegan products internationally. A popular public speaker and director of Meat Free Mondays Australia and South Africa, Tammy's keen to raise awareness of unsustainable food choices, global warming and the cruelty involved in factory farming. She also shares recipes, lifestyle tips, and plant-based advocacy ideas at her blog, Seed. In this interview, Tammy talks about what to consider when selling your products internationally and how fries grew differently in the UK to how it did in Australia, the challenges the company has experienced with major supermarkets and how they dealt with them, the problem of zombie brands that use clever branding to mislead consumers and disadvantage truly ethical businesses, how they balance running the business and family relationships, the marketing strategies the company uses to create organic growth, the company's use of the word vegan in its branding and marketing and how it differs for different countries, how the company decides which countries to sell their products in and when, and much more. Here's the interview with Tammy Fry of the Fry Family Food Company. Hello, Tammy. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hey, Katrina. Thanks for having me on your podcast. No, I'm very excited to interview you because I've already done an interview with Wally. I interviewed, as you know, I interviewed Wally both for my book and I also did a video interview with him for our friend Claire Mann's uh, digital magazine. So it's actually nice to have a chat with you as well because this is very much Fry's is absolutely a family business. And I understand that you were actually the key inspiration for Fry's family foods from when you were very young. So Tell us a little bit about what are your drivers or your reasons for being involved in the family business. So what's your why? Well, um, yeah, it is true. I was a born vegetarian, put some pressure on my dad to, to join, <laughs> to join mum and I and, uh, and follow, you know, a plant-based diet. And obviously later on he, he did and he invented fries or 
developed a product which helped people to to transition to a plant-based diet. Um, and I guess uh, the company or the brand is really just an extension of our family. Um, it's it's not much more. It feels like it's a part of me. You know, there's no there's nowhere else I could be. Uh, this is this is just an extension of who I am. Um, and you know, I, I grew up with parents who who always taught us as children to follow our passion, which is what they did, and leave a positive mark in the world. Um, so I think this is my why. I'm passionate about compassion to living things. I'm passionate about health and wellness, holistic living, conscious living. I'm passionate about the environment. So veganism for me is the answer to to all of these, you know, these things that we face um, and uh, the, a solution for the world. Um, and my job allows me to inspire people to, to change for the better. So I guess that is, that's why I do what I do every day. Fantastic. I love it. I love how your personal why kind of just fits in, like you say, into the, the why of the company um, in a, a really sort of holistic way. I think that, that's yeah, fantastic. I, I think it's important, like, it really is important for people to understand that this is just an extension of our family. This is not a commercial. This was never set up as a commercial enterprise from day one. So it is part of us. We live and breathe it every day. I, I think we'd be lost without it. You know, this is, <laughs> this is just us. So, I mean, the brand and everything, it's not, it doesn't come from agencies. It comes from my brain. You know, what you see on a pack comes from my brain. What, uh, we don't employ a big agencies and spend, millions uh, on on other people uh, creating our brand we created our brand got it got it um so in terms of that then who is your sort of who's your main clientele i mean and i'm just curious are they predominantly say the vegan community or uh, what percentage perhaps you know anecdotally do you think of your customers are vegan compared to those who are not so this changes um for each country that we that we trade in. It depends on, I guess, on the advancements of that society. So in South Africa, there's much fewer vegans than there are in Australia. So in South Africa, I would say that 90% of our consumers are not vegan. They, they're probably flexitarians or they're doing a meat-free Monday or uh, they're vegetarians and they're transitioning. But in Australia or the UK, where there's a lot more vegans, I would say that the percentage is more vegans that, that buy our products. Okay, right. That's interesting. Okay, so it fits in more with the, yeah, with the country. That's great because I was, yeah. I was going to ask you about that in terms of, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of the, the country because you initially started out, your family's South African, and then you've got, I think, an office in, in Australia as well and you're in the UK. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? The, so I guess the logistics involved of having an international brand because, you know, it can be quite complicated just being in one country, never mind uh, the different ones. So can you talk a little bit about some of the considerations involved in selling a product internationally? Well, um, Katrina, it, it, you know, it changes for each country. So when we when we enter a new territory, um, there's always a different setup. There's always new challenges, different challenges. Uh, the way we go about um, selling our product might be different. Uh, prime example, in the UK, we built our brand from independent supermarket chains and a family was representing us. They were a vegan family. So we were selling in health food stores and, you know, the smaller independents. And we've, we've moved sort of up to the bigger grocery chains now. 
But in Australia, it was the other way around. We started off in Coles and Woolworths, and only very recently have we have we seen the opportunity to to sell the products um, to independent markets. And we've we've found the right channels, and we've understood the market. And I guess that's one of the main reasons why we came to Australia was to get a better in depth knowledge of the market, how it's set up, and then improve our distribution here and have more products available for vegans to buy. Nice, nice. And I love that. In terms of getting into retailers, yes, I wanted to touch on that because I know there can be, it can be quite tricky for uh, vegan brands or small, even small business brands to get their products into retailers, particularly these larger outlets. Um, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, about what some of the issues are and how you can potentially overcome them. Um, well, this is, I mean, this is something I'm really passionate about. And um, I do talk to a lot of people about it, is how do we as vegans ensure that the conscious, the truly conscious ethical brands remain on the supermarket shelves? Yeah. The ones that are there, how do they stay there? Because I'll tell you what, it's not easy to be an you know independently owned or family owned business that remains true to our ethics and values. Uh, this corporate world is a very tricky place to be. Um, we are not uh, Linda McCartney Sanitarium or Corn. These are all listed companies. They're owned by huge multinational companies. They have very deep pockets. A lot of the, the money that, that's made in the multinational can sometimes just be moved into a category that they, where they see opportunity. Um, we, don't have, we don't have anything else that we sell. We don't have other products that we can generate income you know, even it, it could be dairy, it could be meat, they could be selling meat and then they take the income and they, and they plow it into a new category um, where, they say, where they're seeing potential. We don't have that uh, uh, possibility. So it's, it is tough. Uh, we can't buy our way into situations. Um, we don't have the money to do that. So we rely totally on sales. If, if we don't make the cut, we, we delist it. We can't come up with some money to, you know, to stay, to keep our spots on the shelf. So and you will have seen it with fries over the years. Um, I often get very angry people on the phone phoning me and saying, why did you delist your burgers? I love your burgers, you know, but it, it's, it's not that we chose to do that. That's what the retailer chose to do because we weren't making the sales that they expect. And for them, it's an easy calculation. You have to sell X number of units for the space that you have. And if you don't, you face cut, the cut. Or you pay us some money and maybe we talk, we'll have a, we'll have a chat about what we can do, you know. Mm. Um, we can't get to that chat. So it is really important that vegans go out and support the truly ethical brands. And it's, it's quite easy to, to figure out what they are. With a little bit of research, it's quite easy to do that. And I think, you know, we also have to be very uh, careful of what we call zombie brands. And zombie brands are um, essentially just private label brands which are set up to look a lot like a conscious brand. So they might have a name like uh, Oakwood Family Farms, but it has nothing to do with a family and it has nothing to do with a farm. It's just a, it's clever branding. Oh, so nice. so us as consumers have to be aware of these things. We have to go and find out if I phone the number, who answers the phone? You know, does it just, uh, do I just get sent through to some big call center? Because that's not a family-owned brand. 
if you phone Fries, you're going to probably have a family member answer the phone or you're very quickly going to be able to speak to a family. You know, it's, it's just, it's a different way of working. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow, I didn't know that. And the other thing I, I, I've noticed happening, and we won't name any particular supermarkets in particular, but in a, generically speaking, with large supermarket chains, I've certainly seen it as a consumer. You'll go in and they'll have this nice ethical product, vegan product on the stand and you buy each and it's great. And then it's next time you go in, it's disappeared but it's been replaced or something similar has been replaced with the supermarket's own brand, but the yes. product is often inferior and it's cheaper. And it almost feels to me, and I don't know if this is the case, but it almost feels like the supermarket has kind of ripped off your idea or seen what's selling well. And then they've kind of made their own version of it and cheaper and then got rid of the actual ethical brand. I mean, is that, that a thing? That, yes, that is, it's a hundred percent a thing. <laughs> um, that, that does happen. Uh, that you might list a product that does well and uh, the supermarkets can decide. And these are supermarkets anywhere in the world. Um, they'll decide, well, well, we'll just do it ourselves. And uh, and that's where the brand loyalty comes into play, right? That's where we, and, and we're very fortunate. as Being fries, we have a very loyal group of consumers that are quite vocal, you know, and they will actually campaign supermarkets to try and get us, you know, on, onto the shelf and keep us on the shelf um and that's that certainly helps that that's it's it's we actually we rely on that and in some instances we we rely on that so um th that is that's the thing that happens and we have to remember that there's two different games that are played some companies are there because they're passionate then they're not enough their, their primary goal is not money their primary goal is something else um, and then there's other companies, which are usually the listed companies, where their primary goal is about money. Mm, and that's yeah. what they set out to do. They, they, they don't care about who's vegan, who's not. You know, they just have a different way of operating. Um, and not that it's wrong. That's how the whole world runs. But uh, it, it does when, you, when you're shopping and you're making choices with your own money and you want to make the right choices. These are the things that you have to consider. Yeah, I love that. I love that you've touched on the fact that the brand loyalty is really the key when it comes to ethical brands because, you know, we see people getting, uh, you know, really happy that these big brands, like you've mentioned before, they may be involved in dairy, meat or other, you know, unethical industries. And then they bring out a vegan product and people are like, oh, fantastic, great can't wait to buy it. Um, but then it's important to differentiate yourself, I suppose, against those kind of brands that saying that you really are ethical and any money, like by buying your product, it's, you know, being invested back into an ethical company that's doing the right thing by people, animals and planet. And I, I believe there was a campaign in Australia, I think I might have signed a petition or something about getting one of your products back into one of the big supermarkets. And I think it worked. Um, and it worked. It yeah, did work. <laughs> I know, I was very happy to go to my local um, Olds actually to get something I really like the rice and protein um strips I really like those they're kind of like yeah. chips, um, yeah. healthy um and I was very pleased to see them back in stock so that's really great I'm, I'm glad that you've um you've raised the importance of yeah getting that that loyalty um behind you now yes. you mentioned that fries is a family-run business so I'm curious can you talk to us about some of, or whether there's any potential challenges regarding working with family members um you know particularly because you know you're working together living together um how does that sort of impact on familial relationships and and how do you ensure that it doesn't have a detrimental effect on them um uh, it is tough at times working in a family business but I think we've done it for so long that we've managed to draw the line between you know that we're doing the right thing for the business or and it's not a personal uh, we mustn't allow it to become personal um 
but it does make it easier that the whole family are following plant-based diets and we all have the shared um, passion for what we do. So because we have a common goal, it, it makes it a lot easier, you know. So everybody has a good work ethic because they're, they're, they're not coming to work for a salary. They're coming to work for a greater cause. So that I think that makes it a lot easier. We don't have people in our family that, uh, you know, sit back and let others work. We're all very hard workers. Everybody puts their, you know, maximum effort into everything that they do. And because of that, there aren't those, we don't really have those issues. So I think we, maybe we're lucky. I don't know. Maybe we're just very lucky. Maybe we've got good leadership in the family. I mean, Wally and Debbie are, are, are incredible leaders. Um, and very fair people so maybe that helps as well yeah that's good because I know with other like business partnerships and you know particularly not even just if it's family but even if it's some kind of partnership that you know sometimes it's yeah like one person might be doing all the work and the other slacks off but it sounds like you've obviously got that down pat what about in terms of delineating kind of work time and non-work time because I suppose like another thing that I know some vegan business owners who I've spoken to they've said that it's almost like you're always on and you're kind of always talking about work um you know sort of 24 7 so do you have sort of times of the day or anything that you do where you kind of delineate and say okay this is work time and space where we can discuss and this is like play time or or not <laughs> putting not. <laughs> not we we work we on all the time we are on all the time. Oh, and, and, and being an international business, uh, of course. We, you know, we are in different time zones. I mean, my work hours sometimes go to 11 p.m. at night. Sometimes we'll have a board meeting, and that includes people in South Africa. And then we we on a call until 2 a.m. Or, um, you know, that happens all the time so that we don't have work hours and we don't have times where we say we're not going to talk about work. But I think that the times where we're together as a family, you know, just eating dinner, um, we, we probably more dreamers. Our, our, our conversation is more, um, you know, our vision and exciting things. We don't often bring up the problems oh, okay. in those times. We try and stay positive, at, no. you know, in those sort of family gatherings. Got it. And I understand that you do, because I've seen some very cool pictures on Facebook, you're also into karate. So I guess that's something you do that's kind of outside and away from the business. Yeah, we we all have a good uh, balance. We live we live in Noosa, so <laughs> nice. <laughs> that makes it um, that that ensures that we have good balance between you know work and uh, just enjoyment activities that we enjoy to do. Uh, and just for internet, just for international readers. So Noosa is a place. Um, just tell us a little bit about Noosa. Noosa, Noosa is probably one of the most beautiful places in Australia, in my opinion. Um, you know, we are on the beach. It's a small beach town. People ride Vespas, uh, skateboards, <laughs> surfboards. That's like being on holiday. <laughs> it's like being on holiday. Our, our <laughs> office overlooks the ocean, so it's very distracting oh, at times. Nice. But but it does it does allow us not to be locked into an eight to five job. Um, it allows for you know time to tap into intuition, um, time to tap into uh, nature and and not be completely bound by our laptops. And, and I guess that was one of the reasons why we came here is we needed we needed time outside of the daily grind of, of you know work going on to just kind of broaden our perspective um, a little bit. And I think it's it's been really good for us. 
it's been a really good move for us to do that. And we've and we've we've seen growth all over the world since we've moved away from really, you know, yes, yeah. So it's actually been fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. That makes sense, actually, like I say, because particularly if you're working those long hours and in those different time zones, just mm-hmm. having that kind of relaxation, you know, like just looking at an ocean, do you know what I mean? You, even if you just look up for three seconds, looking at an that's ocean awesome. is immediately going to calm you down. So that, that's, that's brilliant. Awesome. No, that's great. So now we talked about the family as being a family business and you've got, a, you know, staff members who are members of the family, but you've also got, I think, other staff members um, outside of the direct family. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that and how that works? and how you go about finding and keeping those staff? Um, I think, you know, at any point, if you treat your staff the way you would a family member, that, that you're ultimately going to have loyalty back and you're going to have open communication. You're going to have a trustworthy relationship. Um, and that's how we treat our staff. I mean, you know, we always, when they, when they start, it's like, welcome to the family. This is our family, you know. Uh, we know that everybody else, that everybody that works for us has their own family. We respect that, you know. And if they need to go off for whatever reason, it, we're, very, we're very supportive of that. Um, and, and I think that that's because if everybody feels like they're part of a bigger family, it just it, it works well for us. Um, we have a, an incredible amount of staff loyalty, Uh our people stay with us for many years. We've got staff members that were with us on day one, wow. still still working at Fries. So, um, yeah, it's about treating people with respect. For sure. In terms of the manufacturing then, um, Tammy, so are the products manufactured and made in South Africa and then shipped to these other places or do you work with factories in, in the different countries where you distribute? Oh, at the moment, we manufacture everything in South Africa. Ideally, we would like to look at manufacturing in, you know, some of some of the products in Australia, but we haven't achieved the sales number that we need to make that happen okay. just just yet. Yeah. Um, it, it wouldn't work uh, at the moment. So, you know, that is obviously a goal, but um, and, and we're working towards it. And ideally, we would like to do that. We would never move our manufacturing plants away from South Africa because we have got you know, staff that, that are, as I said to you, they, they like our family. And yeah. if we did that, they would be without jobs. And some of them are feeding, you know, children. It's, those jobs are really important to them. Got it. um, it's a developing country. So these people are, are living in very difficult conditions, um, right. often with multiple children that they're looking after. They might be the, one, the only breadwinner in a family of 15 or 20 people. So we would never pull the carpet from underneath them. Fantastic. Um, so we will always manufacture there. That'll be our main hub. But we will try where our markets grow really well. We will try and manufacture in that yeah. country. Yeah, that's great. I like that you've got that kind of extra social mission to it. And I guess obviously there's, like you mentioned, it's a developing country. So, you know, presumably the costs are lower, which is a benefit to you as a business. But also you're providing that social mission by providing we, employment. to the Exactly. I mean, we are very, very... And we're very involved with our community. We've got projects all around us. I mean, I think next week we have three 40-foot containers that we're donating to different projects. One is a project where the ladies are taking old coat hangers and and creating beadwork with them and then reselling them. And they needed a place to do that, and we're donating. So we're working a lot with the community uh, to, to just totally pull the plug on that would be heartbreaking. 
Of course, yeah, yeah, of course. Now, I like that that's a very much a win-win, um, which yes. is great, because I know there's sometimes that argument of, our, you know, when you employ people from <clears throat> so-called, you know, developing countries, that, you know, you're taking the, the money away from the economy or you're exploiting the people in that country. But really, as long as you're being fair to, you know, paying them a fair wage and you're treating them well, that's like you said, um, you know, we've got a VA in the Philippines um, who's fantastic and she's delighted because instead of having to travel to work where she used to, to a call centre, she gets to work from home and like you if she needs time off uh, you know for family reasons she can take it off and she just makes it up and it, it's a it's a very nice um, exchange so I think that that's great fantastic yeah yeah. So in terms of marketing and PR, because so you're basically the, the marketing guru um, at Fry's, what have been some of the marketing strategies you've used that have been successful in growing the business? Um this is a we're a little unorthodox <laughs> Katrina <laughs> so I, I often say I'm I, I would say I'm probably an, an anti-marketer of sorts um, <laughs> oh you've got to explain that <laughs> so I think um you know Fraz keeps it we, we keep it real with people uh, we are a very authentic brand and we aim to produce the best tasting products we can that are packaged well we produce them with good intentions and we, we stay authentic and, and that generates uh, word of mouth, um, you know, great uh, customer loyalty at the end of the day and organic growth, organic sustainable growth. And, you know, you, you're never going to see fries on, on, in glossy um, mags, you know, with big adverts. You're never going to see us on TV. That's, that's not what we do. Um, we work, we collaborate with people. Uh, we have, many key influences we have a strong digital platform um and and that's those are our strategies uh, it's it, we don't have more complicated strategies than that and i think that's i think that works enough it's 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 endearing to people more than well you know we'll we'll have these huge multi-million dollar budgets and we'll just throw them at radio and you know people go and buy our products because we spent millions on ma- on making them aware they might go and buy those products and never buy them again yeah because they might not meet uh, that, that person's expectations um so for us it's about organic growth and and we've seen that that's worked for us it's actually been it's it's been good for us it's it, the strategy has worked and we've kept it that way from day one there was a, it was a conscious decision that we made. And, and it's nice as well, I think, on your social media, like people know that like if they post something or if you post something and they comment, they're actually getting a reply from someone who's part of the family. And like you said earlier, not just some random person who's maybe been hired to do the social media for the brand. That's it. I mean, in Australia, I haven't been here long, but people will post on the various uh, platforms, you know, the, um, the vegan pages and groups that are set up. and within seconds or minutes, someone's tagging me, you know, and, <laughs> and, then, I, and then I can respond because I'm made aware of what, whatever's being spoken about and I can actually respond to people directly and they're like, you know, I've had people say, it's amazing that your surname's Fry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, really? What a, what a coincidence. <laughs> but um, and then I say, no, actually, you know, because I, I think a lot of people are distrustful. The, the, the world has made us distrustful of brands. 
That's true. And uh, yeah. there's not very many brands like ours out there. So they, they just think, well, it can't be a real fry, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's kind of sad in a way that you can then say, well, no, actually, you know, I'm part of the family. And I think that yeah. kind of, yeah, makes people feel loyal. Like you mentioned about getting that brand loyalty, the closer you can be to the, you know, the business owner, um, getting that access that can really help to, to drive brand loyalty. Yes, love yeah. That. So this is a question I ask everybody as well, and there's no right or wrong answer. Everybody's got different responses. Just the use of the word vegan in your branding and marketing. Um, you know, we've had this, you know, Fries has been going for, for a while now, I think over two mm. decades. Um, obviously, you know, in the past, certainly it was sort of off, or it was seen to be a bit of a scary word and off-putting. Then it's kind of become a bit more cool and trendy over the past few years. So can you talk us through your... Uh, your reasons for you know the prominence whether you use the word vegan how much you use it or not and in different circumstances so it depends on a few things being an international brand there's um there's different markets and i think there's you say you know vegans cool and trendy it might be that in in australia or the uk or the usa but it's not necessarily there yet in some of the developing countries um so even in South Africa, I would say that it's it's still very uncommon. So it's not we by, by using the word vegan so strongly in South Africa, we'd probably be doing a disservice to ourselves and to veganism. It still has some negative connotations. Um, in the UK, it would be different. We would we would use the word vegan because it's more acceptable and people understand what it is and it, they're more open to it and it is on trend. So I think it it really it depends um, and, what, and what I've really noticed is. that you have different websites like you've got the fries family food and then you've got either you know dot com or dot za for South Africa and dot co dot uk so I guess that allows you to to do that what you've just said to target the message to that those particular countries by having those kind of sub websites is that right yeah that is right I mean you know fries fries never set out I mean and this maths we never set out to make food for vegans. We set out to make food for people that are transitioning or want to transition to a plant-based diet so that they have foods that make that process easier. Right. So um, the vegan community are incredibly supportive. And, and if they weren't there, we would not have that opportunity in the first place because we wouldn't be on the supermarket shelf. But um, ideally... We want a non-vegan to come along and pick up a Fry's product and say, oh, my goodness, you know, these nuggets taste better than chicken nuggets. Uh, I think, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to try this. I'm going to have this once a week. And, and I think that's what we set out to do um, in the beginning. And that's still what we've set out to do. So when we communicate, we, we're not communicating to vegans. We're trying to communicate to people who are not vegans and to change them and to inspire them to change and to give them options and solutions. Um, and that's why we've so heavily promoted Meat Free Mondays. And, you know, we launched a campaign here in Australia about seven years ago and we ran it in South Africa. And it's a concept that I think allows, it brings people and invites them in and allows them to just sample the way of the plant-based the way we live as vegans and and then they go along and they and they themselves go along a journey and then they transition and those are the people that we're trying to so when we communicate we we really try and ensure that we're communicating correctly for that group of people good yeah no that makes sense in terms of the country so you mentioned you're in south africa um australia the uk are you in the us as well um we are not uh 
today. <laughs> but so we, how, will, yeah, we will so be in a few months' time. Oh, cool. Because that was one of the questions I was going to ask is how do you decide what countries to go into next and when? Um, it, again, it's varied with each country. Sometimes the opportunity just falls in our lap. Uh, and you know, we'll have maybe an agent contact us and say, we, we want to, we want to take your products to Hong Kong. Um, and they will buy from our factory and they will manage the brand in the country, um, or, or the city or the region. Wow. Um, and in other instances, we actually plan, uh, you know, a launch in a specific country, um, ourselves. So it, it, it again, it's not, it's not hard and fast. We, we allow it just to happen uh, naturally. Um, we do obviously, we do have a, a target list of countries where we see the brand performing well or fitting the, the community and, and the advancements of, of, of that, that, that society um, and if they're ready for these kinds of products. Um, and then we, we slowly go through it and we try and see where opportunities start to open for us. Got it, got it. Now, you mentioned you're uh, potentially looking at the US, which is fantastic. Now, we're seeing some quite interesting innovations in the US in terms of companies like Beyond Meat or Impossible Foods that are, you know, creating these products that apparently bleed and, you know, they're, they're kind of high tech <laughs> and what have you. So are yeah. they of much competition? Do you know, I'm just kind of curious, how do you feel that that's going to sort of maybe impact fries in some way or like, do, are they direct competition or is it something different? Um. Yeah, we we know. I mean, we we in touch with them, so we know who they are and and what they what they do. Um, fries. I think some people think because we come from South Africa, maybe we, you know, we don't use technology. I'm not sure. What it, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what it is. But fries, I would say, is at the cutting edge of technology. Um, we make foods that stand up in those countries, and in some instances, I believe outperform most of those products. So um, the fact that we don't talk about how technologically, we, how we develop these products is, is, you know, a different thing. We don't, we don't talk, we, we talk more, our, our marketing is focused more on the family and the, you know, how we started in our kitchen and our story and what we're passionate about. So we don't talk about our technologies, but we use about 25 different technologies that we've developed as a family. Um, in our factory. So our nuggets taste nothing like our sausages, which taste nothing like our burgers. And every single one of those is made using a, a, a technology um, of some sort. So I think that we are extremely innovative. I mean, we are probably one of the first brands to have uh, nuggets. If you, if you try our gluten-free nuggets, I don't think you're going to find that anything else in the world matches up. Um, I'm I'll stand confidently and say that. And um, we have gluten-free chicken-style burgers. Again, I think that probably you would be you would not find something that that tastes that good, you know. And and we know it because people have given us that feedback. So we are confident in the food that we make. We're confident in our technologies. We're confident that in our innovation. And we're small. We're nimble, so we can move very very quickly. We don't have. Uh, shareholders or investors that we have to make happy first we just we just go along and we and we do it quickly right got it got it so do you think it's a case of it's good that these kind of things are getting a lot of media coverage and are being put out there because it's like it sort of helps the whole category of um a non-vegan uh, of vegan proteins or vegan meat yeah I, th I think it's fantastic that vegans that veganism's on is finally you know in in mainstream media 
And and it's probably thanks to some of those companies that it is. Got it, got it, cool. So for those people who perhaps they're just at the stage now, they're very small and, you know, they're enjoying making a food product and they, or, you know, it could be another kind of product and they're thinking, you know, starting a business around this. What are some of the, and I know you've kind of grown up sort of within that entrepreneurial scene already within your family, but what would you say are some of the key things they should take into account, say perhaps from making that, before they make that jump from employed nine to five to running their own business? Um. I think you. I think you need to start small. Um, so don't overinvest. Don't uh, don't go to the bank for for loans before you've actually cut your teeth at the markets. You know, going to markets, selling your products, testing your products with a wide group of people, making sure that they're accepted. Um, Fraz was never. I mean, Wally and Debbie have never uh, required bank funding. So you know, we grew as we grew. And we right. we made the machine work until it couldn't work anymore. And you know, it, we we didn't score in over our heads and and over invest in this in 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 the business on day one. Um, I would say also not to sell yourself to investors because there's a lot of people out there looking to invest in businesses, and that's what's happening in the US. They come with a lot of money. They put a lot of money on the table, but they don't have that same passion. So they're coming in and buying your passion from you. And then you have to make decisions uh, with a different goal, with a different end goal. You can't make your decisions because they're an extension of yourself. Um, right. so, so don't, I think that that's really important. And then, and, then um, and, and I would say to take care of all the details, you need to be, to be an entrepreneur, you have to be a detailed person and you have to also be a big thinker. So you have to have both. Um, yes elements you know you can't just have the big dream but then you can't take care of the detail and and the hard work it it is very hard work what we do is very hard work absolutely no that's very good advice particularly that last bit I like my partner Tracy is very much a big picture person and I'm like you know with the editor and everything I'm like the small chunk detailed person and it does tend to work well together and sometimes we like uh, you know it can be kind of frustrating because I'm like no but we must think of the small bits and she's like no think big and vice versa yeah. it, it does actually work well together um, no, that's, so that's, that's, and, and we've got different I mean we've got different strengths in the family and um, we've got the big thinkers and the dreamers and then we've got the people who are the more detailed people um, who help to make those big dreams come true yes and you yeah. need that I think you need that Absolutely. So that's fabulous. So final question, um, Tammy, what's your long-term vision for Fry's and for yourself? Um, for Fry's, obviously, to become a, a, a truly international lifestyle brand, um, I think that's our, that's our vision. It's quite simple. Um, and, to, and to inspire change in people and to, to allow them to make this move more easily to a plant-based diet. So that's our that it's as simple as that and then for myself I think um to to become more of a thought leader um on holistic living conscious living but you know being a mum, managing a family following a vegan diet um nutrition I'm I'm an athlete and I have been you know I've competed at on the international stage so assisting people with with maintaining health and fitness on a plant-based diet and I think that's what that's what I'm really passionate is, is teaching people, assisting people to live in their ultimate life um, and to be a thought leader on that subject. So I, that, that for me would be ideal to do that alongside our brand 
and uh, you know to, to to use the brand to kind of assist people with that with that process. Fantastic. I love that. What I'm loving is I'm hearing that you very much, all of you, you know, Wally, Debbie, yourself and other members of the family, you're all walking your talk. So, you know, you're not just a brand that's, you know, selling stuff because it's trendy or whatever. You're literally kind of, yeah, walking the talk and very authentic, um, which is fantastic. We are are authentic. When we started Fries 25 years ago, it wasn't trendy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we didn't. We didn't jump. We didn't jump on a bandwagon. You know, we didn't say, "Oh, here's a great opportunity. We can make some money. Let's jump on this bandwagon." We. It, it was started out of real authenticity. So, and that hasn't changed. It's still the same. No, I love that. Fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure. It was lovely interviewing Wally, and it's been just as fabulous interviewing you, Tammy. So, thank you so Thanks, much for coming Katrina. on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So that was Tammy Fry from the Fry Family Food Company. You can find out more at fryfamilyfood.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 85. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Plant Power Fast Food in California has taken over a former Burger King store to launch its second location, featuring a drive through window in Encinitas. The company's focus is on providing busy, on-the-go consumers with healthy plant-based fast food options, such as burgers, fries, shakes, sandwiches, wraps, salads and desserts, including a kid's menu. Plant Power co-founder Zach Vuga said, The interest in convenient, healthy food is growing exponentially as a result of the medical challenges facing many Americans today. We're demonstrating that outstanding taste, convenience and wholesome food can be delivered in the fast food format. The company's first restaurant opened in January 2016 in San Diego and has quickly become a favourite with the local community. In addition to the drive-through, the new location also features walk-up, take-out service and an outdoor patio dining area. Earlier this year, the company launched its mobile ordering app as well as online ordering, allowing customers to order before they arrive and then stop by to pick up their meal. Fantastic. Let's hope that plant-based fast food becomes the norm and makes regular fast food joints redundant. A UK company has launched the first premium condoms aimed at women and they're vegan, reports Business Insider. Hanks, which is spelled H-A-N-X, is the brainchild of gynaecologist Sarah Welsh and investment banker Farah Kabir, who saw a gap in the market for a luxury stylish condom that would overcome the embarrassment felt by many people at purchasing these kinds of products. Welsh and Fabia said that a survey of more than 2,000 women in the UK carried out by Hanks showed that 85% think that they should be the ones to buy the condoms, while 73% would be more likely to buy a discreet product. The condoms are made from fair trade vegan latex and packaged in matte foil inside a white box, which is slim enough to tuck into a bag or purse. They cost £6 for a pack of three and they can be bought from the company's website where subscriptions are available. Kabir said, 
There isn't a condom brand in Europe that focuses on women, and Hanks is the first luxury male condom designed for women by women. Up until now, condoms have been designed by men for men. This needs to change, and we are here to shake things up. So this is the latest in a series of companies launching vegan condoms, which is fantastic. And you may remember I've reported on some of these in earlier episodes. Note that this one has a unique point of difference, which is always important when you're launching a new product, service or brand. Finally, Unicorn Goods, which says it's the world's largest vegan store, has launched its own annual awards program with voting opening this week. That's September 2017, if you're listening in the future. The Best of Vegan Awards, known as the Hornies after the Unicorn Horn-Shaped Award, were created to recognise top vegan products, organisations and leaders across 41 categories, including Most Innovative Vegan Company and Best Vegan Product. Voting for the 2017 awards opens on the 1st of September and winners will be announced on World Vegan Day on the 1st of November. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you'll remember that I interviewed the founders of Unicorn Goods, Dave Pittman and Kayla Mackey, in episode 60. They're a young entrepreneurial couple who started the Public Benefit Corporation in 2014. The Unicorn website lists a huge range of vegan products, including clothing, personal care, books and home goods. In regards to the awards, Mackie told me, Working with vegan businesses, like the ones we've learned about through Vegan Business Talk, your book Vegan Ventures and Vegan Business Media, has been a privilege and an honour. Our first ever Best of Vegan Awards recognises these and more vegan businesses around the globe, all united under a common mission to save lives and make the world a better place, one purchase at a time. Excellent. And I'm delighted to announce that this podcast, Vegan Business Talk, has been nominated for an award in the vegan media category. So if you're a fan of the show, I'd love it if you voted for it. You can vote at unicorngoods.com forward slash vote through to 30th of September. And I'll put a link to that on the show notes page. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 